0: On this prequel episode, we've got our Mockingjay Part 2 fan poll follow-up. We're learning about Lois Duncan and previewing I Know What You Did Last Summer. Hello and welcome back to this film is like the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have a very lengthy prequel episode with lots to discuss, so we're just going to get right in to our patron shout-outs. We have one new patron this week coming in at the Academy Award-winning level, Paul. So thank you, Paul. Uh, We appreciate you signing on. Remember, since you are an Academy Award winner, if you have a request that you would like us to review, get that in sooner rather than later, (laughs) because it'll get added to the queue. We're scheduled out quite a ways, but if you want to make a request that we do, we will work it in as soon as we can, which at the moment is 2022, but (laughs) we'll get to it, I promise. Our recurring Academy Award winners are Paul, Winchester's Forever, V Frank, Support Your Local Library and Your Local Rebellion, Sucker for 90s Slasher Films, The More Meta, The better. Shelby Says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, Kelly Napier, Kat Ensminger, Jeff Niederhofer, Ian from Wine Country, Grey Hightower, Gratch, just scratch Eli Youngs, Ben Wilcox and Alina Starkov. Thank you all so very much. I think we have those in a different order than usual. You did them this time. I, I know. normally do it. It's fine. <laughs> it's all I I actually don't remember how I get them in the order I do, I so I don't it know how matter. you get
1: them in that order, so
0: It's irrelevant. There y'all are. It still ended with Alina, so <laughs> somehow that was still and it started with Paul, so I don't know. But it was close. Some things switched around a little bit. It doesn't matter. Let's get to it. We have so much to talk about in our listener poll follow-up for Jay Part 2.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's just like
0: uh, your opinion, man.
1: All right, so starting off with Facebook, we had three votes for the book and zero for the movie on that platform. Um, we did get some longer comments this mm-hmm. time. I have cut some of them down since we have so much to get through. Yeah. Adam said book but it was a close thing for the sole reason of the movies being shorter i tried so hard for this reread to see if my opinions had changed like brian's but i still really disliked this as the end of the trilogy
0: that's fair enough you know fair enough i i can understand that why some people still wouldn't be into Mm -hmm. it and i it's i still it's not like the most satisfying yeah. Conclusion for me, but, but I, I get it and yeah, I like I it because, part of and that's the, yes, that is the point. So I understand that, and because of that, I appreciate it and I did enjoy it more because of that. But that being said,
1: totally, it's not it. a series. So I will like say it. it's definitely
0: not a series that I would reread very often. Yeah, it's one of those things. I might reread it again, you know, in ten years or something, mm-hmm. but not like. Like Lord of the Rings, it's a little boring, but I could (laughs) reread Lord of the Rings, you know, every few years or something. And back in the day, I used to reread Harry Potter all the time. Um, And so those, you know, have a little bit more endings that are a little bit more satisfying, uplifting uh, and and are a little bit more rereadable because of it. So I understand.
1: And Jennifer said, I chose the book each time and continue to do so for this last installment because the books just give more room for the kind of nuanced political story that in the first two books occur a bit more in subtext than text and is harder to convey in the movies without room to breathe in between the lines. So much seems about what is not said rather than what is said in many scenes. Having said that, rewatching these films, I was struck by how amazingly well they do their job of getting those points across. All of these films do some pretty heavy lifting and complex political themes and, I think, will have a kind of staying power than other, quote, cooler young adult-focused movie series that just won't be able to rival. I just really love them. The casting is spot on and I believe that any changes the movies made... Serve the greater story. I love the series in both book and movie form, but my hot take is that I'd actually really like to see this series redone in the horror genre. It would be a completely amazing, as there is nothing scarier than politics.
0: I agree. I think if they were, if this series were to ever get revisited, I think the thing that would be really interesting would be, and I mean it's not unique for me. I say this about everything, would be a series, a TV series mm-hmm. or something that is on something like HBO or something and really delved into the 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 political themes even harder because the movies like like she said did a or like they said did a pretty good job yeah um relatively speaking kind of getting into the politi- politics as much as they could uh and, and and transferring that over from the book I do think it would be really interesting to see a series that is less trying to be an action blockbuster and more Trying to be the weird sort of dark, uh, you know, political mm-hmm. thriller almost. Not thriller, but, um, uh, you know, political drama that the book series actually is. And I think something like that would work really well on a platform like HBO or whatever. Pick your, mm-hmm. you know, pick your streaming platform um, where the target demographic is a little bit older.
1: Yeah, And I, I think it would
0: work, too. You could do it, you know, in say five years from now or something like that when or 10 years from now when the audience that read the books when they came out are older which they already are like you know right but even a little bit older like yeah. in that prime demographic right for, well and,
1: and i mean and even when they when they were coming out we were a, a little bit older than yes like we the were like i said i read them when i was like 20 so, or something yeah.
0: like that so it wasn't i wasn't like a, a you know a, we, were, a we were no
1: longer teens no
0: but um but yeah so i think uh the target demo would be in the right age range for a more mature adaptation. Yeah, for, yes,
1: uh, a revisit that delves into some of the darker elements of this series mm-hmm. a little more fully. Yep. I think is well deserved. Yeah. On Twitter, we had 8 votes for the book and 5 for the movie. Shelby Suderman said, "Sorry guys, I'm picking the movies again." You never have to apologize for that, Shelby. One of the things I love about this series is that there's no easy fixes for trauma and mental health issues because it's less common to see in genre fiction, although I am torn on the kissing Peta better scene for the same reasons you mentioned. However, for me, the ending drops the ball on that. In the one we get, we're just told Peta gets better and he and Katniss grow close again and then they have kids later, so presumably they're happy. I think the ending should have focused on Peta getting better and bonding with Katniss. I think that would have tied in more to the ongoing themes of trauma and mental health instead of showing them with kids. I preferred the epilogue in the movie over the book. I like the truncated final lines and not hearing about how Peta wore her down. We only ever hear about Katniss not wanting kids once in the movies, whereas the books go into it more, so it feels like less of a change in the movie." The movies also benefit from a visual medium because they can just cast really cute kids to be little Peta Gale and Primrose Rue. They're
0: uh, I, I uh, they're, um, uh Jennifer Lawrence's ne- nieces. Oh, Nef- really? Niece and nephew. Yeah, they're that. related to her. Yeah, they're like her niece <laughs> That's and nephew. Funny. Yeah.
1: There isn't as much of an a reading in this final installment, but I agree that after three books of Katniss reading as a adding in a line in the, in the final paragraph about her having sex can potentially read iffy. As with her having kids in the epilogue, her having sex at that last moment could potentially read as her being fixed by loving PETA enough. Mm-hmm. Kelly Napier said, I went with the movie. I think I've commented on this before with y'all, but I have a hard time reading battle scenes. When a book is trying to follow everything that's happening in a battle while also illustrating the chaotic nature of war, I just get lost in that chaos.
0: Yeah, and it's our—it's tough in, in, in any circumstances. And, and as we discussed, Suzanne Collins isn't particularly good at it, mm. um, at least in my opinion, uh, compared to some other authors. And so it's even more... It's even yeah. a little bit more and difficult.
1: Honestly, I always have a hard time reading action scenes just in general. Yes, I like, like I, I said, I, in I general. I have a hard time is, yeah. orienting myself mm-hmm. for an action scene, so yeah. I totally get that. Yeah,
0: in general it's difficult, but it's, yeah.
1: And April Edmansky said, in the book, when Finnick dies, Katniss becomes psychic for a few seconds. I found this extremely stupid and confusing. Please discuss.
0: Okay, I do not recall okay, this. So I what found is this about? I saw this tweet, I saw her <laughs> post this, and I was like, I got to look this up, because I don't remember okay. what this is.
1: Um, all right, so uh, Finnick dies, and then the text reads... It's as if I'm Finnick, watching images of my life flash by. The mast of a boat, a silver parachute, mags laughing, a pink sky, BD's trident, Annie in her wedding dress, waves breaking over rocks. Then it's over.
0: Okay. So I I get what April's saying. I think what we're going for in that moment is, and I, I'm sure April understands this and is being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but um, I... <laughs> Uh, I think it is, I think we're definitely just going for sort of, um, you know, uh, capture, hitting those moments that Katniss recalls these sort of like uh, light, uh, what's the, what's um flashbulb moments mm-hmm. from her experience with Finnick. I will say that the first one is makes it a little weird because she's talking about like the mast of a boat and yeah. sort of, she's sort of, I guess, imagining that I, I, memory. It's a what bit of an memory.
1: odd moment. I totally didn't notice it on first read.
0: I remember um, that now. When you read it, I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember reading that," but I didn't. put I it I think it as, is a
1: little bit odd that it's posited as though she is like flashing through Finnick's life for him. Yeah, I think is what makes it a little bit odd. I, I don't.
0: Yeah, I I I think I get what she's going, what Collins is going for there, um, because I do understand that that moment of um, when you lose someone and I mean, obviously this is a very immediate to the loss, but like regardless in any situation where you lose someone sort of having that almost that, that flash like that, um whatever it's called, you know, like when uh, watching your life flash before your eyes, mm-hmm. like seeing his life flash before her eyes. Um, and most of those events were things she was
1: yeah, a most part of them and them like w-
0: experienced in that sort of thing. Obviously a couple of moments were a little, you know, Didn't add up in that same way, but I I still think it would be something that she could sort of imagine And so I think it's it's sort of to strike to get across to the reader the 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 scope of the loss and sort of encapsulate his life in a way Quickly to remind us of who he was and Mm -hmm. what we're losing and all that sort of stuff Um, But I do uh, understand (laughs) I do get that it comes it reads a little strange It's
1: a bit of an odd moment. Yeah on Instagram, we had 11 votes for the book and 6 for the movie. Them Cultured Vultures said, It's the book for me. I was really pleased that Collins stuck the landing and didn't shy away from the messy nature of real conflict. The movie is a good adaptation, however, and I think that Josh Hutcherson deserves a mention for his best performance in these movies, maybe in his career so far, question mark. I, don't, I've, I actually I don't, don't I'm know not if i Hutcherson his in anything other that.
0: than, I'm trying to think <laughs> if I've seen him in anything other than the Hunger Games movies, and I know he's been in stuff, but I don't yeah. know if I've seen anything that he's been in, probably, but I can't recall it.
1: I agree with Katie that it's super weird that Katniss ends up having children, and that for many the best parenting choice is to not become a parent at all. P.S. I just finished The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I liked it, but once again, I think the studios will have a challenge to make it into a summer teen blockbuster.
0: Interesting, yeah. I think that I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it I'm would surprise me if it was like, somehow like a good, fun yeah. summer vlog, especially because <laughs> Snow yeah. is the main character. Yeah, I can't see that being like a fun. I, there's no way that doesn't end t- ter- like tragic, you know. Yeah, like we're seeing the backstory that created the villain, I assume, is what the point is, and sort of kind of explaining, you know, where he came from and why he's him. Yeah, um, and so I, I,
1: I have not seen the new Cruella movie, yeah, but I feel like something like. That could potentially kind of be a flop in the same way. Not that that movie was necessarily a flop. I think it. I heard so many mixed well, reviews on
0: that, where some people really liked it. Like yeah. you know, some people that I uh, whose opinion that I, I respect and, and enjoy I think on movies it really be liked like, it. and other people were like, it's terrible. Yeah. And I, think it so I, yes, I think it will definitely
1: be way. divisive yeah. in a similar way. Yeah, I think it will be divisive in a
0: similar way. Yeah.
1: And having read the series, I just want to say again that I'm still really disappointed that she chose to write a prequel book for Snow and not Plutarch. Yeah. And we'll die on that hill.
0: Yes, I absolutely agree with that.
1: Enchanted Rose Costumes said, going to have to say movie. Overall, I kind of hate how the series ended. Killing Prim felt like it defeated the entire reason Katniss entered the games. Yes, I realize many people lose someone during a war, but I was still pretty upset. I'm glad she picked PETA instead of Gale. Also, Finnick deserved better. I felt the movie had better pacing versus the book nearing the end. The description of the monster hybrids in the book was better and more traumatizing than the movie truthfully I am kind of torn actually they both had good parts but I only read the book once while I have watched the movie several times
0: yeah so speaking of the 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 hybrid monsters from the sewer uh, I found an article showing the guy the, the concept artist who created them for the mm-hmm. movie had a bunch of concept art and some of the versions the earlier versions did look much more like the lizardy yeah. versions yeah. from the books Um, But I think and so it looks and it also looked like to me from some of the behind the scenes stuff I watched that they were entirely CG, which if that's the case, very impressive, because I legitimately thought there were several moments that those were like. Mm-hmm. creature makeups which maybe they were and maybe I just didn't see that part but it looked or you know the little 2 minute behind the scenes thing didn't go into that and they were just talking about the CG part but in the behind the scenes clips they were showing you know these it's all these like stunt actors wearing like you know the ping pong ball suit yeah. kind of things yeah. running down the hallway <laughs> that they mapped the the creatures onto and i think a big part of why they made them a little more humanoid is for uh, because they had humans playing them right and so having them run on two legs just was easier right. than map onto, you know <laughs>
1: than having them yeah. like try to crawl but, and flail around but on but four you, legs yeah
0: if you can go find <laughs> I, I just googled like uh you know mocking Jay uh mutation whatever something mm-hmm. and, and was able to find like a little behind the scenes video uh and and an article that had the artwork of some of the previous iterations of it
1: I do love behind the scenes stuff where they're wearing the ping pong ball suits. <laughs> yeah. it's, all, it's never not funny. Yeah,
0: and this one it's particularly funny because they're like waving their arms all around <laughs> and like you know flailing around like the the mutations and stuff. And I get I, I like I said I, I get the the first part of this about how, you know killing Prim and just how upsetting it is and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I mean and. They're aware of this, but, you know, that's the point. Right. And like, yeah. And
1: I, I don't think we even really talked about it in our episode, but that is one of the other big things that I often see cited for why people didn't like the way yeah. that the series ended was killing Prim.
0: Yes. And, I like, I get it, like I said. Yeah. And I didn't like it either, and but that's... Again, and I'm not saying that Enchanted Rose I sure understands that that's the point I'm just it, and, But it, that being said, when you do something like that And that is the point, you're going to have people who are just like Cool, I get that that's the point, but I don't like it <laughs>
1: And our last comment on Instagram was from One More Page Podcast, who said, While the story is great, Hunger Games was no literary masterpiece. The writing is just okay, and the POV was weird, in my opinion. I thought the movie was so well cast and really sold the darker elements of the story while still being YA friendly. The one issue I had with the movie was PETA's height and the fact that they never made Gale go as extreme as he should have. But overall, I'm team movie. J Law is Katniss.
0: Uh, I don't disagree that. I mean, J Law is great. Uh, I don't really care about Pia's height. It's
1: not
0: really <laughs> it doesn't really affect my. I forget what how tall he's supposed to be. I after think the he's initial. supposed to be
1: pretty tall, but it doesn't yeah. bother I me. I mean,
0: we did talk in the first episode about how he's not as about yeah, how right, we, he's
1: not as like physically is not imposing as sort of like it bulky like and and, and sort of sturdy
0: yeah. as he comes across in the book. He, he's Hutcherson's a little bit. Um, more trim than kind of what yeah. you. Expect He's a, a boy reading.
1: next door. Yeah, is what Hutcherson is. Yeah,
0: and you're expecting more like a farmhand type yeah. of like sized dude, um, and so I get that. But uh, I I disagree. I, I would say I disagree about the point of view. I it was one of my favorite parts about. it uh, yeah, I was like being the point in of view. Katniss's point yeah. of view. Obviously, the point of view was weird. Doesn't really give us a lot to go on what you didn't like or what you thought was weird about it, but. Um, I will say that I don't think the books are like masterpieces, but they mm-hmm. I do really enjoy them and think they're doing some interesting stuff um, in the YA genre. So
1: yeah, I agree.
0: But yeah, I I, I, I yeah, J Law is Katniss. I I don't know who I would cast in in her place. Honestly, I can't think of somebody that would be better suited to play Katniss. I'm sure I could maybe think of someone close, but
1: if I was casting it right now. Someone that I think could do an interesting job, and this is based on just having seen this person in one thing, is, uh, I don't know her name off the top of my head, the girl who plays um, Inez in, uh, that's her name, right? In, Because
0: uh... I <laughs> have a person it. in my head now, and I'm, <laughs> I don't know if this is who you're talking about, but I don't think this is the character name. In Shadow and Bone. Oh, wait.
1: In Inez. Inez. Oh yeah. I feel like like having seen her in shadow and bone, I feel like she could do a, a good rendition of the character of Katniss. The
0: actress I thought who might be good and she's very similar. I think, I think I, I don't know if it's much of an upgrade, but I think she could do a very similar thing to what J law did. Like I feel like their, their portrayal would be very similar is um where I think yours would be different and interesting. Uh, I think, um, what is her name? Uh, I don't know the actress's name, but the, the, the actress who plays the female lead in The End of the Fucking World.
1: Okay, yeah. that Yeah, that would be interesting.
0: I don't remember the actress's name. I don't remember the character's <laughs> name. But if you've seen The End of the Fucking World on Netflix, I think there's two seasons of it. Uh, or did they? They made a second season, right? We watched Yeah, that. we yeah, watched yeah. the second season. Um, great show, by the way. Uh, Alyssa, Alyssa. Played
1: is, by Jessica Barden. Jessica Barden.
0: Barden, yeah. Uh, I think she could have she 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 her because her demeanor and her sort of everything about the way she plays that character in Into the Fucking World, I feel like would f- a lot of that would fit with Katniss mm-hmm. to some extent. I think she could. She might not have the physicality that like J- Jennifer Lawrence has, but uh, her her acting and her again her mannerisms and everything about that I think could work. So,
1: um, and just. For the record, uh, Inej and in Shadow and Bone is played by Amita Suman. Mm, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So there we go. Two suggestions. Yeah, two
0: suggestions. But that being said, I don't know if it either, either of them would be better than Jennifer Lawrence. She was great. No,
1: not necessarily. No. But I think both would be different and interesting in their own way. Yep. On Patreon, we had four votes for the book, two for the movie, and one person who could not decide. Support your local library and your local rebellion, said. I haven't read the books, but I did see all the movies. After listening to y'all's description of the gore and horror of the books, I was very tempted to vote for the books all the way. It conveys how awful Snow's regime is and how horrible even a justifiable war is, far better than the somewhat toned down movies. The movies exist to entertain and make money, so they don't want to make people feel too bad about enjoying watching violence, which is exactly why this series, the first one especially, is the perfect material to adapt into a blockbuster movie. It is an excellent black mirror. We see the darkness and ourselves reflected in it. We relate so easily to the plight of the workers in the districts because many of us are workers in our own capitalist dystopia. We put ourselves into massive debt for the privilege of getting a job to pay off our debts. Basically, none of us own houses. We just borrow them from banks in exchange for 30 years of labor. Many of us are indentured servants in all but name, and yet many of us are so steeped in privilege we've gone blind to it. We live in luxury compared to many people around the world. We consume products that result in the exploitation of impoverished people people environmental degradation truly absurd wealth inequality it isn't a revelation to anyone watching this movie that we are the citizens of the capital just as much as we are the citizens of the districts americans flocked to theaters by the millions and spent over 40 million dollars 400 $400 million dollars to watch a movie about kids fighting to the death in an arena where the clear bad guys of the movie are the people watching kids fight to death in, in an arena The irony and meta-commentary give the first two movies especially a huge bonus in my mind. Meanwhile, the books have other advantages in terms of detail and their unflinching look at suffering. Considering both of these factors, I really can't pick one over the other for any installment in this series.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. (laughs) I agree with a lot of it. Most of it. Almost all of
1: it. Winchester's Forever said... I have been playing catch-up on this summer series, so consider this my vote for the series as a whole, as well as for this final installment. The Hunger Games is my absolute favorite YA series, as well as one of my favorite book series overall, although it did take me a while for that to become the case. I found myself disappointed by the ending when I first read it, as many others were, but every time I revisit the story, I find myself liking it more and more, and understanding it better also. The movies are good, but without the details provided by being told entirely from Katniss's perspective, they never felt like anything more than summaries to me, Mm. mostly because Mm -hmm. without her internal monologue, Katniss just doesn't feel like the same character in the movies. And that difference carries some real weight for me because Katniss is probably the fictional character that I identify most closely with on a personal level. The way she relates to people, the way she processes her emotions, even the way that she struggles to come to terms with her own feelings for the young men who say they love her all of it rings so true to my own experiences despite not having anything else in common with her that I easily that I easily put myself in her place every time I read these books and therefore experience everything that I am reading on a much more visceral level than I usually do. Incidentally, this also made the sections of your podcast episodes where you criticized Katniss's portrayal based on labels that you and others have chosen to ascribe to her difficult to listen to. And I realized that you were speaking from a more academic perspective and that you were trying to be inclusive. And it would have been one thing if Katniss had recognized herself within the story as asexual or autistic and then had not conformed to the broadly understood tropes of those labels. But since she wasn't labeling herself, I always felt that she was simply being portrayed Exactly as the author intended her to be portrayed, which means for someone like me who identifies very strongly with that portrayal that dismissing her character's actions or decisions or growth or change because they don't conform to the labels you have assigned to her personality can come off as hurtful. I have also come to love this series more over time because I've come to appreciate the underlying messages that Suzanne Collins is communicating through the story. The most important of which is this third book in particular is that the authoritarianism that should be fought against no matter what form it comes in. And this is a message that I see getting lost in our particular political discourse all the time. People on both sides of the political spectrum, especially in this day and age, seem all too eager to embrace authoritarianism as long as it gets them what they want and hurts the people that they don't like. And cautioning against that is a powerful and complex message for a book series aimed at teenagers to tackle. And it's one that is designed to make people uncomfortable, and it is a message that does not lead to any easy, happy endings. And that is why I definitely appreciate the books more the older I get. Because a story Like this should be uncomfortable because it is and it is honest in a way that many books about teenagers leading revolutions are not It is honest about the cost of war It is honest about the emotional toll that it takes on people And it is brutally honest about the fact that sometimes a happy ending doesn't always look like a happy ending And it sticks with you and brings you back to it over and over again Even if you weren't expecting it to and in the end as you grow its message becomes more and more relevant and more complex because it is as true to life as a story like this ever really gets.
0: Uh, a fantastic, well-written uh, comment. We uh, absolutely thank you for that. I mean, a lot of personal stuff in there, but just a really uh, interesting and great appraisal of the series. Um echoed a lot of points that we talked about with mm-hmm. the, you know, the revolution and the unflinching look at it and sort of all of that stuff. And I absolutely agree. So now this is where we're going to get into... <laughs> Uh, a, a broader discussion. We're gonna take some time here and talk um, on our Patreon feed and In the comments on this thread or on the uh, the poll. The poll. Um, we had uh, some of our patrons uh, kind of engaging a little bit of heated discussion, some back and forth. Um, and we're not gonna read everybody's comments because we don't. We're not here to like air out.
1: Right. <laughs> the- I, I I would feel odd just reading everyone's comments yeah. verbatim in that thread because I would feel like I was like airing people's grievances, kind yeah. of.
0: And, and ultimately it felt like everybody of at least mostly everybody involved came to a place where they sort of understood where everybody's coming from. And it's always hard in a text format yes. to understand, you know, what, you know, when somebody says something, how they're the tone or whatever. And so it, there, I think, you know, it, right. it got a little, but,
1: but, but basically uh, to summarize what happened, um, was that, you know, Winchester's, uh, stated that some of our discussion regarding readings of Katniss, mm-hmm. um, And particularly the conversation focused on the reading of her as asexual.
0: Yeah. And the ending and how we thought about it. And
1: the ending, ending. how we felt about the ending. Um, You know, there were a couple other people that commented who um, either both agreed and disagreed with what Winchester's had to say. And we wanted to speak to that.
0: Yeah, we wanted to speak to that and kind of talk about it, but without getting into like, and again, without like sort of reading everybody's comments, and, and we're just going to kind of talk about it and address some points. So first of all, we want to start this all by saying that we really appreciate everybody's feedback. We're going to get into some little bit of a heavy discussion here, nothing crazy, but uh, we know everybody that was commenting was doing so in good faith. We appreciate that. We love you all. And we really we love that you support us and that you 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 have the passion and and the energy and want to you know talk to us about this topic. Um, please know we're also coming at this in good faith just trying to have an opus open and honest back and forth uh the nature of this kind of back and forth monologue where we're not having like an actual face-to-face conversation where you're talking then we're responding that sort of thing uh means we occasionally may try to summarize points or characterize comments uh and as a fan of podcasts personally i know it can be super frustrating frustrating if it feels like the podcaster you commented to mischaracterizes your point or sort of doesn't accurately sort of um summarize what you were trying to say and then argues against a, you know a straw man or something and we're, we're really trying not to do that we're doing our best here to try to accurately accurately summarize points and respond to them fairly and we're hoping we can pull that off we may not and if so do you know let us know um, but we are we are trying to um, so first Neither of us are ace. Uh, So all discussions of asexuality on this show were an attempt on our part to share some perspectives and readings on a character that we personally do not share a lived experience with. We are trying to shed a little bit of a light on a reading of a popular character that general audiences may have never heard of before considered before. Because I know before our rereading this time, the idea and the fact that people read Katniss as ace was something I never even heard of, considered, thought of, that sort of thing. And we are trying to bring more eyes and ears to an identity and a group of people who often go completely ignored in media and, and, and media analysis specifically. Um, and doing this from an outside perspective almost always leads to us missing things, oversimplifying things, or just outright getting things wrong sometimes. We always want topics like this to be an open dialogue with our listeners so we can get the most relevant and accurate information to our audience and have that back and forth. Because, again, this we're outsiders in this conversation just trying to sort of – talk about it and and mm-hmm. and 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 share information with people
1: so i want to jump in for a minute and talk about labels because it seemed to me in reading the comments on patreon that labels were a little bit of a sore point um, so labels are a mixed bag Uh, At best, they can provide someone with a sense of identity and a jumping off point for finding information and community. At worst, labels can be used to exclude people who don't fit into a set of criteria, a la a no true Scotsman fallacy. One of the tricky things about engaging with this type of identity-based media analysis is that there's not really a way to do it without using labels. I wholeheartedly agree that we should have stressed that asexuality is a spectrum more frequently, and that's something that I am looking forward to doing better with in the future. My concern would be that beating too much around the bush in regard to labels um, is that we may end up leaving behind people who aren't aware of or knowledgeable about these topics. It's a fine line to ride. I want to talk about something specific that Winchester said in their comment, um, and I'm going to quote that again here real quick. It would have been one thing if Katniss had recognized herself within the story as asexual or autistic and that had not conformed to the broadly understood tropes of those labels, but since she wasn't labeling herself, I always felt that she was simply being portrayed exactly as the author intended her to be portrayed. Okay, so... First off, um, Winchesters, I want you to know that it's not my intention to put words in your mouth here. Um, Uh, your comment just reminded me of an issue that I've seen discussed online and aspects of that discussion that I personally find a little bit concerning. So I wanted to touch on that here. I hope I'm not like totally mischaracterizing what you have to say. And I I hope that you don't mind me using that as a jumping jumping off point. point. I totally get wanting a world where characters have explicitly labeled themselves and being able to use that to start a discussion. But I think the bump in the road is that pieces of media, especially popular media and non-recent media, non-very recent media, where characters explicitly label themselves are currently the exception and not the rule, unfortunately. I mean, hell, look at all of Disney's first gay characters who have never explicitly labeled themselves as gay in the actual films. My concern is that if we make that our criteria for engaging with identity-based readings of texts, then it's kind of a slippery slope to not discussing identity-based readings of texts at all. And that goes especially for identities like asexuality, which are even more poorly represented than some others are.
0: Our original discussion on the ending and how that affects the readings of Katniss as ace were like considerably longer than what I ended up including in the episode. We talked for at least five or ten minutes more about that topic. And in that discussion, we did touch on some of the topics that these comments are bringing up. But I felt when I was editing the episode that I I personally was doing a really poor job vocalizing my thoughts and it didn't come across how I wanted it to and just felt sort of sloppy. So I ended up cutting a lot of that discussion.
1: And I just want to mention, too, that when you're looking at a story or a character through a specific lens, whether that is an identity-based lens or anything else, Part of that is acknowledging the moments that don't seem to fit within that specific lens. So our goal was always to state that for us, the ending of the series didn't seem to fit with the lens that we were using, not that the ending didn't or couldn't work for anyone also reading the character as asexual or for anyone using a different lens altogether.
0: And that was one of the some of the main things we did discuss in the parts that I cut out and I did intend to leave in at least one comment and I, I I went back and I couldn't find it. And so I'm thinking maybe I didn't or maybe I did and I just couldn't find it. Um, But I did intend to leave in at least one comment that made it clear that under certain readings and interpretations of Katniss as a character, the ending in the book actually works perfectly well and in fact could be seen as a very satisfying conclusion. And I don't think we really did a good job in uh, making it explicit that different interpretations of Katniss's character and her sexuality lend themselves to vastly differing opinions on how the book ends and that they are all, for the most part, valid. Um, Because obviously if your interpretation is that, you know she's a space alien who (laughs) from the planet Zordon or whatever like there are interpretations that aren't maybe
1: maybe less valid maybe less valid than some other
0: interpretations but that being said there are lots of very valid and and perfectly reasonable interpretations of Katniss as a character we did try to point out several times over the course of the series as Katie mentioned we didn't probably do a good enough job at this but in even in that final episode we tried to point out that there's no one way or right way or correct way to be ace and that asexual people exist across a wide spectrum of experiences preferences etc i'd like to think that over the course of our show people know that we view all expressions expressions of sexuality as existing on a spectrum that no two people of any label are the same and that all versions of consenting healthy sexuality asexuality are valid and great and i hope that people know that we feel that way so uh getting into a response to a specific comment that i believe daryl made on patreon um, sort of responding. The, respo-
1: this was responding to Winchester's initial comment that uh, I Responding
0: read. to Winchester's initial comment. I just wanted to touch on a couple points here um, and kind of respond to them. Um, and I'm quoting here. Quote, while it may have been an attempt at an academic discussion, I think it failed in that regard because it didn't even acknowledge the possibility that other interpretations, and there are several, were even possible. So I'm going to come out swinging a little bit on this comment. I don't want you to take it personally. <laughs> I just... Gonna, I gotta, I got to gotta come out a little bit on this one. Uh, other interpretations are always possible, and I find it a little bit hard to believe that if you've listened to our show for any length of time that you wouldn't think that we don't believe this or that this isn't a big part of the way that we analyze media. Anytime we voice an opinion about or give an interpretation of a text or a movie or anything, please know we are merely giving our feelings Our interpretations of said text or media. We're some of those dreaded postmodernists that the right have been warning about for decades. Everything is up for interpretation, and there are infinite reasonable interpretations or readings of any given text or piece of media. We may occasionally argue fervently in favor of one specific interpretation that we think fits the story, but please, please never read that as us declaring that it is the definitive interpretation. Also, this was slightly addressed in some of the discussion that I cut out, which obviously doesn't help here, but we did talk for quite a while about how this ending could totally work for different interpretations of Katniss's character. Like I said, I ended up cutting a lot of that. That being said, the main reason we made the point we did in the, mo- in the episode was to present an idea that I've seen discussed in Ace Circles online, where it can be very disappointing or unsatisfying for a character that people view as coded as Ace to not be considered, quote, complete, or fixed, or better, uh, or have a happy ending until they end up having Having sex with a partner. If this experience is different from your own and you find a lot to identify with Katniss and love the ending from the book, that's super awesome. Again, please don't take our uh, discussion as an invalidation of your lived experience or your interpretation of this series. Uh, another quote here uh, that I wanted to respond to um, Quote, but the biggest problem I had was that even if the ACE interpretation was 100% correct, the discussion didn't take into account that ACE is a spectrum and people of all identities make relationship decisions for all kinds of reasons. Of course, there's nothing wrong with not liking character decisions, but to assign to the author the worst motivation based on your own non-textual interpretation of their work is a big yikes, end quote. So again, I just want to reiterate and stress that we absolutely understand that ace people exist all along the spectrum, said as much in that episode and across all of the episodes at different times. Uh, I would also argue that we didn't ascribe Collins, the worst motivation based on our own interpretation of her work. We said that the ending of her story with Katniss, or sorry, we said that the ending your story with Katniss sort of triumphantly having sex on the final page could potentially read as off putting to some ACE readers who are identifying with this character, obviously not all. And I think Winchester's comment provides a fantastic counterpoint to that. And said it better than I ever could. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think also, even if you go back and listen to a lot of the other comments that we read, we had reactions all across the board to the ending. So it it just goes to show that no two people are going to feel the same way about this. I also want to jump in here and address the fact that I characterized the ending of the series as heteronormative, allonormative, and lazy. First, I want to apologize for using lazy. I should have been more precise and less inflammatory (laughs) with my language. I got caught up in my feelings, and that's my bad. Going off of that, I also want to clarify that in that moment, I was speaking less to the asexual reading of Katniss specifically and more to the choice to end the series that way in general. I characterized the ending as heteronormative and allonormative because it is, I feel the same way about the Harry Potter epilogue. Everyone ends up paired off with someone of the opposite sex and they've all had kids. That's the definition of heteronormative and allonormative. Please understand that when I make that kind of assertion, I'm not saying that anyone who likes this type of ending is bad or that endings like this are ipso facto bad or that anyone who has or wants that type of ending for themselves in real life is bad just that it's a cliche way to end a story and it's a specific kind of cliche that can have negative real world real world effects because always defining a successful or happy ending as getting married and having kids leaves a lot of people out in the cold
0: yeah and obviously you can tell your story that way and it can be a good story and i and and, and again to reiterate we liked the ending of these books overall yeah. and, and, and even still, even though we, you know, the discussions we had about the epilogue and the way the story ends, I actually still like this ending. I think that it's maybe a little bit iffy for some people, but it could be iffy for some people because of some of the stuff we discussed over the entire series. And I just wanted to kind of bring that up and mention it. Um, but I actually like the ending um, because again, I'm not a, i am not I when I read Katniss, I don't, I don't necessarily read her personally as ace. I see the reading. I get it. Um, but I identify with her in a very different way than mm-hmm. I than I think an ace person would. Or, or I, I again, I just said an ace person as if that's like a singular type of person. And obviously it's not.
1: Right. Um, but that's also just the way that people talk.
0: Right. Yes. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. But so I obviously identify with Katniss in a very different way. And I personally actually... Uh, think the ending works really well for me i i see it as a as a sort of an overcoming of trauma and that sort of thing and being able to heal and i still think it could have been done a little bit better and sort of like fleshed out you know like Mm -hmm. and, and done not in like a page or whatever um but i actually find the ending fairly satisfying if i'm looking at it purely from like my perspective like for me it works like i don't have a problem with it um we were just trying to bring up one other perspective that may not like that ending kind of thing
1: right and you know part of the reason that we wanted to talk about this specific reading of Katniss as being asexual is because it is a fairly common reading of this text at least in online circles yeah Um, but it is also a reading that general audiences might not be aware of yeah. and we always like to bring that kind of thing to fresh ears
0: yeah uh, our goal with the show a lot of times is to sort of be <laughs> i mean i hope i'm not sort of ruining how the sausage is made but a, a little bit our goal is to sort of be a a gateway to maybe some progressive readings, some more um l- progressive leftist ideas mm-hmm. And, and and it and uh, readings on media on books on movies in a way that is accessible for people who aren't necessarily like part of that culture already, but people who are already you know part of super progressive leftist spheres that sort of thing can still enjoy it and get something out of it. Um, And it's kind of the goal. I'm saying this here now at the end only because I think anybody who wouldn't be receptive to me saying this is probably already stopped listening like 30 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that is at least a part of what we're trying to do with the podcast is, um, you know, obviously we think that the politics we hold and, and the opinions we have are generally speaking good. Um, or else we wouldn't hold them. Uh, and so, you know, we try to bring uh, sort of put use that again, that sort of progressive feminist l- leftist um, pick your progressive title lens on the media. We we look at because that's how we look at media, because that's both of our mm-hmm. political opinions um, and our worldviews. And then trying to distill that in a way that listeners who maybe aren't already part of that can at least Dip their toes in yeah, and get a feel to for make it
1: accessible, it, make
0: it a little bit accessible. And because of that, I think by nature, it ends up being not complete, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we'll always kind of end up leaving a few people sort of caught in the yeah,
1: wanting more, wanting
0: more. Yeah. Yeah. So my last note on this whole thing is more of a general note about our show. I, the last part I didn't write down this part. I did write down. So <laughs> um, this last note is a, is more of a general note about our show Our my second general note about our show. Uh, we do our best to always be deferential to opposing ideas, other interpretations, different readings, etc. We're just two, not particularly brilliant people sitting in a studio, discussing movies and books. We are very, very aware of our limited perspective and understanding on many topics. We try to acknowledge other viewpoints and interpretations of the media we analyze, but there is a fine line between being deferential and humble in your analysis and just not analyzing the media at all. And that's something we actually struggle with a whole lot. We want to provide thought-provoking and colorful analysis of stories, but we can only do that from our own perspectives, which obviously leaves some people out, which we understand can suck and be really, really, really frustrating." We appreciate the feedback. It's one of our favorite things about doing these prequel episodes and about doing the show in general is getting alternative readings and different perspectives that we miss in the movies and the books that we talk about. So please keep responding with your takes and we'll keep talking about them and doing our very best to give our listeners a diversity of perspectives.
1: All right. So now that we've chased away anyone who doesn't like <laughs> politics in their podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've thoroughly chased all of them away now.
0: Yes. All right, so let's go ahead and see what the final vote count was. What won, Katie?
1: It was the book with 26 votes to the movie's 13. There you go. So I think the book won by a higher number of votes than it did for part one. So make of that what you will.
0: All right, let's now go ahead and learn a little bit about... Louise Duncan.
1: I, think I can't I, say her name. I think it's Lois. It's spelled L-O-I-S, and I'm pretty sure that's just Lois. Well, let's learn about Lois Duncan. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Lois Duncan Steinmetz was an American writer, novelist, poet, and journalist Best known for her young adult novels, she has been credited by historians as a pioneering figure in the development of young adult fiction, particularly in the genres of horror, thriller, and suspense. Duncan started writing and submitting manuscripts to magazines at age 10. We got a prodigy here. Mm. She sold her first story at the age of 13. Um, She published her first novel, Love Song for Joyce, in 1958 under the pen name Lois Carey that was followed by Debutante Hill in 1959. The latter was initially rejected for a literary prize because it featured an adolescent character drinking a beer. Wow. Gasp. Uh, influenced by her own interest in the supernatural and speculative fiction, Duncan wrote various suspense and horror novels aimed at teenagers. Aside from "I Know What You Did Last Summer," some of her other titles include "Down a Dark Hall," "Summer of Fear," "Killing Mr. Griffin," and "Stranger with My Face." I don't um, know if
0: any of those have been adapted because I don't. "Summer
1: of Fear" has, and "Killing Mr. Griffin." Okay, has. I was about to
0: say "Summer of Fear" was the only one that sounded remotely familiar. Yeah. But it's also possible that they just changed Um, the names.
1: And I think she had uh, maybe one other of her works adapted, but it was like a a children's book, Mm. not one of her young adult books. In 1989, the youngest of Duncan's children, Caitlin, was murdered in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I know. Um, In 1992, Duncan published Who Killed My Daughter, uh, which was a nonfiction account of her daughter's unsolved murder. Duncan said that her dream was to write a sequel to Who Killed My Daughter to give our family's true life horror story a closure. Of course, for that to be possible, Kate's murder must be solved. Duncan also founded a research center to help investigate cold cases, which later became the nonprofit rescue center for victims of violent deaths. After Kate's death, Duncan began writing children's picture books saying that she could no longer write about young women in life-threatening situations. Um, And according to what I could find, that case does remain unsolved, unfortunately. I can
0: imagine being like, no, I'm going to write something different. I can't imagine writing. Yeah. uh, You know, no, not after something like that happened. After. Yeah. I can't imagine.
1: Um, On June 15th, 2016 at the age of 82, Duncan died in her home in Florida of undisclosed causes. So Lois Duncan, as I said, is credited by many critics and journalists as a pioneering figure of young adult fiction, particularly the teen suspense and horror genres, and has been dubbed the queen of teen thrillers. As noted by Emily Langer of the Washington Post, Duncan often plucked her characters from normalcy and placed them in extraordinary, often dark circumstances. In 1992, Duncan won the ALA Margaret A. Edwards Award, which recognizes one writer and a particular body of work for significant and lasting contribution to young adult literature. She was also awarded the Grand Master Award from the Mystery Writers of America in 2014. The citation for her ALA Margaret Edwards Award observed, quote, whether accepting responsibility for the death of an English teacher or admitting to their responsibility for a hit and run accident, Duncan's characters face a universal truth. Your actions are important and you are responsible for them.
0: All right. It's now time to learn a little bit about I Know What You Did Last Summer. The book. The book. The book.
1: So the boy and girl are making out, right? When they hear over the radio that this lunatic killer's escaped from an insane asylum. That's not the way it goes. The boy goes for help and the girl stays in the car and she hears this, like, scratching sound. No, he's been decapitated. No, he was gutted with a hook. He's dead. We can't just leave him here. Oh, tell me, little Miss Prelaw, what's the charge for mad slaughter?
0: We make a pact right here, and now we take the sorry grave.
1: I know what you did last summer is a 1973 suspense novel by American author Lois Duncan. Duncan got the idea for the book while she was making dinner and her daughter, Carrie, was having a conversation with her friend in the kitchen. Carrie told her friend about a boy that interested her and her friend was considering what to wear on her upcoming date. The two eventually realized that they were talking about the same boy. Mm. I haven't finished the book yet, so I don't know how yeah, this say, relates that to the end? story. <laughs> I know very little about yeah. it. but Duncan later read a story about a hit and run in the newspaper, which led her to incorporate one into the novel. I do know how that relates.
0: Yeah, that part. Of, that's the only part <laughs> I know is about the story. That's literally the only thing I know. Um,
1: in October of 2010, uh, publisher Little Brown reissued the novel in paperback with updates to modernize some of the content. In the revised edition, Duncan gave her characters cell phones and updated some of the character's clothing choices. The war that Collingsworth had fought in was changed from the Vietnam War to the Iraq War. Um, so the the hard the paper copy that I have of this is the 1973 edition. Mm-hmm. I bought it used online. Yeah, it's got um, a cool cover. But uh, I think it was Jedi Anne. Um, posted on instagram mm-hmm. and tagged us in it that they had made changes to it in 2010 which i didn't know at that time um so i went and huh. looked on libby and i got a newer edition the ebook oh, is okay. this 2010 edition so i've been like looking and seeing, seeing what the like, what, the, what, the, what they got what got changed huh. um in regard to, like particularly in regard to their clothing choices because that's yeah. easy to look for um, so it, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, as adding cell phones is very interesting because that changes. Yeah, so it changes
1: much. a lot. I, feel I mean, like.
0: that's a that's a uh, it's a very common meme online about how so many episodes of like old TV shows and stuff are just instantly solved. Like the 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 main you know mm-hmm. like conflict in an old episode of like Seinfeld or pick whatever TV show is just instantly solved if the characters have cell phones. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's, so that it's yeah, it's interesting.
1: A reviewer from Carcass Reviews uh, felt that the characters bury. An- Helen are quote so vacuous that one hardly cares whether they get murdered or not they stated that despite this (laughs) the um, quote madman murderer is cleverly concealed among a bevy of red herrings and as he zeroes in for his revenge this turns into a high velocity chiller with a double identity twist wow Jennifer Moody writes in the Times Literary Supplement that, quote, The mystery of who is responsible for the letters, the threats, and the violence is handled with skill and panache. A mm. uh, Complete review as M.A. Orthofer felt a little differently. Uh, they gave the story a B- rating, stating that it was a reasonably suspenseful, guilt-ridden thriller, but that the writing and some of the plotting is very, very basic
0: so mixed reviews just the same thing that the movie got (laughs)
1: so let's go
0: ahead and talk about I Know What You Did Last Summer the film for the last year four friends have kept a secret
1: are you on drugs? no well then what is wrong? I've had a rough year
0: but not all secrets stay buried
1: somebody sent this to me oh my god Someone knows. I know what you did last summer. Ooh. What they thought would be a new beginning... Toast to us. ...is becoming a dead end. Somebody tried to kill you last night. We have to go to the police.
0: If he wanted me dead, he could have done it. And the mistake they made...
1: It was an accident. There was
0: no accident. It was murder.
1: What if he's still alive? what are you doing here is coming back to haunt them oh
0: my gosh i know what you did last summer is a 1997 film directed by jim gillespie known for joyride i see you spelled e-y-e like you're like your eyeball i see you uh and billionaire ransom uh and written by kevin williamson who wrote Scream, Scream Two, The Vampire Diaries, Dawson's Creek, and uh, a series with Kevin Bacon, um, the 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 Knowing or something like that. Uh, uh,
1: that is a resume that makes sense for this movie,
0: and well, it'll make even more sense here in a second <laughs> when I tell you a little bit more. Um, but yes, no, it makes perfect sense. The film stars Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Philippe. Is it Philippe? Philippa? I
1: have no idea. I actually don't
0: know. I meant to look that up and I forgot. Uh, Freddie Prinze Jr., Bridget Wilson or Bridget Wilson, Anne Hae, Muse Watson, Johnny Galecki, and Stuart Greer. The film has a score of 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, 52% on Metacritic, and a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb.
1: I had no idea this was, like, so middlingly Very reviewed. middling. It's
0: actually less, like, uh, worse reviewed than I thought. Yeah, I, I thought it would be more in the, like, 60s yeah, and, like, the 6 out I of 10 on thought. IMDb, 7 out of 10 on IMDb. Hmm. Maybe, like... I guess 5.7 is not terrible on IMDb because I would have put it like in the low sixes probably if you would have like asked me. But um, so it's not that far off from what I expected, but I've never seen it. So who knows? Uh, It made one hundred and twenty five million dollars against a budget of just 17 million and was nominated for the best horror film by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Films in 1998. The screenplay for I Know What You Did Last Summer was written by Kevin Williamson, as I mentioned. Several years before production started and before he wrote the screenplay for Scream.
1: Oh. But
0: nobody nobody wanted to make it at the time. Uh-huh. But then Scream got made. And as soon as Scream came out and made a bajillion dollars and blew up <laughs> into the biggest horror movie in, you know, a decade or whatever, uh, they immediately rushed into production <laughs> on I Know What You Did Last Summer.
1: Seems about right.
0: Yeah. Uh, Gillespie, uh, the director, Jim Gillespie commented in 2008, quote, the joy of this film for me as a filmmaker was in taking the elements that we've seen before and saying to the audience, here's something you've seen before, knowing that they're saying we've seen this before and still getting them to jump. (laughs) Gillespie also claimed that he felt uh, Williamson's screenplay did not resemble a, quote, slasher horror movie. And that he saw it rather as, quote, a really good story with a morality tale embedded within it. Hmm. Uh, director uh, Gillespie, again, recalled that uh, though he had been unfamiliar with the screenplay source material, apparently roughly 60 to 65 percent of the women that they auditioned for, uh, like, the lead roles in the film had read the novel as children.
1: That's funny. So it was
0: apparently very yeah. popular with that, that age range. Of, like, young Mm women, you know, the people who were. uh, Well,
1: and I will say that in general, there's not a lot of, like, that kind of genre, like, horror thriller suspense that's marketed to young women. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So if you're into that, you're reading what you've got. Yeah. You're reading Lois Duncan. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs)
0: Uh, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, uh, who at the time was mainly known for her role in the television series Party of Five, was cast in the lead role of Julie James based on her, quote, ability to project vulnerability. Hmm. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar uh, was the last of the leads to be cast. Uh, She was picked because she, quote, or they wanted, they, quote, wanted an actress that had a warmth to her, but could still come off as being a bitch, (laughs) end quote, Uh, which at the time she was basically only known for Primarily known for Buffy. Yeah. She'd been in, like, one like one year of Buffy or two, maybe? Because Buffy, Buffy started in, like, Buffy 95 started. or 96 or something like that. I'm pretty sure. It ran, like, 95 or 96 to, like, 2003, I thought, or 2001 um, or something.
1: No, 97. 97. Came out so, in March of 97. So, yeah, they... So, she might have... Audiences might have known her from that by the time this movie came out. Yeah.
0: Um, yes. How long did it run? Did it say until 2000? It was like 2003, Um, wasn't it? Or 2004 or something?
1: It ran 2003,
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I, I knew it was in that ballpark. Uh, So apparently uh, this was a 10-week shoot. This film was shot over the course of 10 weeks, and approximately seven of those weeks took place at night. So seven of the 10 weeks of shooting were all filmed at night. And Gillespie said this was incredibly difficult for the cast and crew, and it also created a lot of problems in the uh, small town locations that they were shooting in because they were oh, filming
1: I bet, those, I bet those small town people loved that. Yeah, I mean, they're <laughs>
0: out there with all these lights and stuff filming from, you know, yeah. 10 p.m. till 5 a.m. or whatever every night. Uh, so gillespie chose to film with virtually no on-screen blood as he didn't want the film to be overly gratuitous in its violence uh there's a scene though where elsa has her throat slashed while she's standing against the glass to- spoilers i mean whatever yeah. it's a 20 year old 25 year old movie um there's a scene where uh, elsa has her throat slashed while standing against a glass door and it had originally been shot from behind and there was no blood on the glass however when they got to um like the post production process, uh, producer Feig, and that might be Kevin. I don't know. I didn't look at which Feig that is. Mm. No, he's Feige. So. I don't know. Yeah, it's not. It's different Feig. I think because he has an E on the, the 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 other big producer Feige. He has. I, an I e don't other. know I'm, who you're know. talking about. Uh, Kevin Feige. He's the Marvel <laughs> guy, isn't he? Oh, okay. Isn't I'll take them? your word for it. I don't know off the Hold top on. of my head. Kevin Feige. Yeah, he's the president of Marvel Studios, but he has an E at the end of his name. Okay. So this producer is just Feig, and I didn't look up who it was because I didn't care. Um, <laughs> but he worried, uh, or she, they worried that the scene appeared quote medically impossible, and so they ended up reshooting the scene after principal photography had ended uh, with a visual effect of blood splattering against the glass.
1: Mm.
0: So they originally it were does gonna, like,
1: seem unlikely that yeah. there wouldn't be. I mean, you slash somebody's
0: throat against a window, you're going to see some blood. Yeah. Uh, so, Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Geller, this is really interesting, only speak to each other twice over the course of the entire film. Once at like the 10 minute mark, and once at like the hour mark or something like that. But despite this, uh, this is the set where they actually met, became friends, and ultimately fell in love and got married. Cute. They're still married to this day. Adorable. Uh, so hashtag the group couple goals couple goals uh, So the group goes to a, a Dawson's Beach In the film And this is a reference To uh, Dawson's Creek Which I forgot to mention this Kevin Williamson Also wrote on mm. uh, And finally Richard Harrington uh, uh, Talking about some reviews now Richard Harrington Compared the film uh, Favorably to Scream Saying quote It's a smart Sharply drawn genre film With a moral center And a solid cast Of young actors To hold it Variety's Derek Ellie, Ely was also enthusiastic, calling it, quote, a polished genre piece with superior fright elements that should perform at better than average theatrical levels. Cool. Boy, talk about like some riveting prose there. Um, and finally, because I have to, Roger <laughs> Ebert gave the film one out of four stars and wrote, quote, the best shot in this film is the first one, not a good sign, end quote. Also, this film is included on Robert Roger Ebert's most hated list.
1: That kind of makes me want to like this. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. Oh,
0: boy. So, yeah, there we go. Katie, where can the good folks watch this film?
1: Well, as always, you can check with your local library. I feel like a pretty good chance they'll have a copy of this. Or if you still have a local video rental store, check with them. Otherwise, you can stream it with a subscription through Hulu, Paramount Plus, Paramount Plus through Prime, Epix, Epix through Prime, DirecTV, and Spectrum. Or you can rent it for around 3 to $4 on Vudu, Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Redbox, DirecTV, or AMC Theatres On Demand.
0: There you go. I'm looking forward to this because it's a movie I've never seen. Mm-hmm. It's one of those like sort of, is you know, it's not a classic by any stretch. It's
1: not, but like 97, I would have been like said eight yeah. or so and I like remember people talking about it. Yeah, I
0: remember people talking about it.
1: But I've never seen it. So it's something that looms like kind of large in like the mythos of my childhood and And things I wasn't allowed to see.
0: And it's also one of those things that came out that I saw in movie stores all the time because it came came out on VHS or whatever or maybe even DVD at that point, probably VHS um, you know in what 98 or something Mm -hmm. like that. So I was 10 years old right in peak like going to the movie store renting videos, you know looking at all the covers and all that sort of stuff at blockbuster and hollywood video or whatever um and so it's definitely a cover i've seen a ton and definitely a movie that you know people and it was spoofed a bunch in Mm -hmm. like uh, scary movies and all that sort of stuff um it's definitely a a sort of a, a big part of horror movie sort of pop culture in that late 90s early 2000s and and the cast i mean it's got like a who's who of like heartthrobs from that era so it's it's definitely uh, i'm definitely looking forward to seeing seeing what uh what 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 the movie has in store i think it's going to be a lot of fun
1: oh and real quick uh, before i forget to mention this because i forgot to put it in our notes this is a academy award winner patron request from Grey High Tower.
0: There you go. Thank you, Grey. Uh, this should be a lot of fun. It'll, it's a good kickoff into the the spooky season. Too. Yes, it is. We're not yeah. quite to the Halloween, you know, the spooky season, but we're right on the cusp. Mm-hmm. And this, will, this is. And really we
1: a, we are we do have like several spooky things yes, coming up because we, we had a lot of like spooky uh, patron requests, so I'm working a lot of those into this season.
0: There you go. So get ready for spooky season, and we're we're getting into our first one with I know what you did last summer. And we'll be talking about it in one week's time. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And and keep keep being
1: awesome.